Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25 down to 34, reads this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of, to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and then tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. I have one point this morning, and I'll close with four encouragements. So one point this morning. Do not be anxious because your heavenly Father loves you. Do not be anxious because you have a heavenly Father who loves you. Now, what's key for us to realize is that Jesus isn't throwing out a random command. He's not just saying, don't be anxious. No, he's, he's continuing an argument that he's been making. That's why we see the word, therefore, opening up our text this morning. Jesus has argued in verses 19 through 24 that his followers shouldn't be laying up treasures in heaven. But he concludes that section by saying, No one can serve two masters, for, neither he will take, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or you could read, you cannot serve God and possessions. And then he follows it up with our text this morning saying, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He's made clear to his disciples, you can't serve God if you're enslaved to money or enslaved to your possessions, if you're enslaved to the things of this world. And he follows it up with our text by exposing a symptom of enslavement to money or possessions. And that symptom is anxiety. When the soul is anxious for the things of this world and the security they bring, it's an indication that money and possessions have taken a hold of your soul again. That's where your hope is seeking to be found. Now, I want to say at this point, this text is for everybody. This is for all of us, as I mentioned previously. If you're like me, you're tempted to read this text and think, well, I'm not one to get anxious. I may get frustrated at times, but I don't really experience anxiety. But that's not true. We all face anxiety. We can't think of anxiety in its most extreme terms of somebody who paces back and forth, or who's always wringing their hands, or, or they're just tapping the foot all the time, or they're, they're sweating, or they're just constantly asking questions, or they're talking really fast. Those are some signs that somebody might be anxious. But that's not the only way we can think of anxiety. In actuality, anxiety can be something as simple as recognizing a perceived need and then being so consumed with addressing that need that
that you become distracted to the things of God. And you begin, to you begin attempting to take matters into your own hands. That can be a very subtle way anxiety works its way into our lives. And I think this is in part why Jesus addresses specifically food, drink, and clothing in our text. We can all agree that these are three of the most basic needs all of us need. Food, drink, and clothing. But D Jesus doesn't just drop, don't be anxious about your life, and then moves on to something else. He spends a numerous verses helping us to understand by unpacking what that means not to be anxious about your life. Look, look back at verse 25. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? And the implied answer Jesus is looking for is, yes, life is more than those things. There's more to life than just food and drink and clothing. If you've secured all the drink and all the food and all the clothing you could possibly ever need, you've actually achieved nothing. Jesus is saying that's all vanity. Whatever earthly need you have, life is more than that need being met. Meaning, that need or that perceived need is not worth stressing over. It's not worth be being, becoming anxious about. And Jesus is making a greater to lesser argument here. He's saying, if you shouldn't be eager, anxious about the most basic need you have in your life, then you for sure shouldn't be anxious about anything lesser than that. Is not life, we could say it this way, is not life more than perfect health? Is not life more than a generous bank account? Is not life more than the car working right constantly and never having to go to the shop? Is not life more than these things? What good is it to gain the world but lose our souls? I'm not saying things like this are bad. I'm not saying the things that we are concerned about at times are bad. But being overly consumed and distracted by these things is, is bad. If we're overly consumed and we're distracted by the gifts of God that we begin to neglect the call of God, that's not a good thing in our lives. It's destructive. It will destroy our souls. See, Jesus is exposing that anxiety over worldly things and the temporary security and safety that they provide is merely an exchange of an eternal hope for a temporary one. He's saying, don't put your hope in these things. Don't try to secure peace and rest in these things. And as he mentions in verse 19, they can easily be destroyed or taken away. They're not lasting you could achieve all of these things, but never truly experience the peace and the love of God. You can worry so much about these things that you never truly experience the true enjoyment offered by God in Christ. See, we can't shortchange what we were made for by being anxious over the things that will never truly satisfy our souls. They always have the threat of being destroyed, being taken away, Losing their inherent value? Don't be anxious about your life because your life is so much more than those earthly things you tend to become anxious about. Now, this doesn't mean we should abandon our care towards those things. No, we should try to be healthy. We should try to work hard. Uh, scripture is very clear that working is a good thing. Providing for oneself and one's family is a good thing. Wise planning for the future is a good thing. Having a family is a good thing. But when we put our hope in these things and they don't go according to our plans, we become anxious and we start attempting to serve both God and these things. 
But this is what Jesus rebukes in verse 26. Look there. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You see, anxiety tends to cause us to forget that we're actually loved by our Heavenly Father. And Jesus attacks us head on. Birds don't seem to be as stressed out about getting food like we do. They aren't growing and harvesting crops. They aren't building up barns and seeking to store away as much as they can just in case. And yet still, they are fed daily according to the text. But did you notice who feeds the birds? Did you notice what it said? Your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father. It's your heavenly Father who cares for the birds. And he asks, are you not of more value than they? If God cares enough to ensure that the birds have what they need, how much more can you be sure that he loves you as one of his children and will provide you with what you need? And we can't forget that man does not live off bread alone. Your heavenly Father knows the physical nourishment that you need. But also in His love, He provides what you need for spiritual nourishment. He has provided you the bread of His Word and He has promised that it will never run out. So He promises to to cover your physical needs and He promises to cover your spiritual needs. And Jesus keeps going in our text and says there's no reason to be anxious because anxiety is pointless. Look at verse 27. Look down at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of span to his life? What benefit is it to you to be consumed by worry? Literally nobody listening to Jesus when he was speaking here could could raise their hand and boast to Jesus that anxiety had added some extension to their life. Think about how much we tend to worry about. How often we become anxious. And Jesus is saying, who by being anxious can add a single hour to your lifespan? A single hour. Anxiety can't even do the smallest benefit of adding an additional hour to your life. He's he's highlighting how illogical anxiety is. He's saying it's useless. You see, no one will ever tell you what you need in your life to, to get going better is a little anxiety. No one will ever tell you, hey, you know what I, when I truly found peace in my life was when I became anxious for a little while. That's never the remedy to fix life. It's pointless to become anxious. It doesn't add anything to your life. But Jesus offers another consideration for his listeners when he tells them to consider the lilies of the field. Look back at the text at verses 28 through 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He's saying again, take note, listener. Listen up. Just like you did with the birds, now I need you to do the same thing with the lilies. When you look at a field that's full of beautiful wildflowers and you stand in amazement of how beautiful they are, don't forget, it's God who clothed them with that beauty. It's God who did that. 
They didn't work for it. They didn't strive to be like that. They just are because that's what God chose to make them as. And then Jesus adds, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon, the richest man in the Old Testament, with all of his fine clothing, pales in comparison to what God has clothed these flowers with. Jesus is basically saying, if you took Solomon in all of his fine clothing and put him in a field of wildflowers, God looks at the field and says, man, how beautiful are the flowers. That's what's truly beautiful, because I did that. The point, though, isn't about flowers in comparison with Solomon. Jesus is highlighting putting your trust in your efforts to clothe yourself is vanity. You do better putting your trust in the one who gave Solomon his wealth and all that he had to begin with. And the one who can clothe a simple flower with amazing beauty. Trust in this God. Who is your father? He is your father. He is more sure and more trustworthy than any human efforts could ever truly be in your life. Even more than the flowers, according to the verse, the grass, even with its short life, God makes a point to clothe it. If he takes time to clothe the wildflowers and the grass with what they need, he will clothe you too. He'll clothe you with what you need now, but more importantly, he clothes you in Christ for eternity. When you stand before God, you won't be in your finest suit. You won't be in your nicest shoes. You won't be in your finely pressed shirt. You won't be in your most beautiful dress. You'll be standing there before your Father clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that's what we should be putting our hope in. How we are clothed by Christ. That's the only thing God will look at and be pleased with in the end. But we can't skip over the last part of verse 30. Look there. O you of little faith. When our concerns become the focal point of our lives and unbelief begins to creep in, anxiety finds its home. And And we become anxious when our troubles and our sorrows overpower our belief of who God is and what he will do for his people. I mean, think about what makes you anxious for a minute. The things in your life that tend to cause you to become anxious or worry. What if my health doesn't get better? What if my marriage doesn't get better? What if I don't get married? What if we don't get the house we want? What if we can't pay next month's rent? What if we can't pay next month's mortgage? What if, what if, what if, what if? Don't let the what ifs of your life drown out the promises of God ringing in your soul daily. God in his word gives promise after promise after promise after promise that are meant to unshackle you from your anxiety and free you from its paralyzing effects it has on your devotion to Christ Jesus. Anxiety steals the joy you have in Christ. It calls into question the hope you have in his word. It pulls you away from your devotion to him. And Jesus says, don't give in to that. Don't give in to it. Don't take on that burden. Don't be anxious about your life. And he clarifies this in verse 31. Look there. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father, there it is again, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be added to you. Don't seek after the things of the world. Seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Anxiety, anxiety is a characteristic of those who don't trust God, who aren't following him. Jesus, using Gentiles here, is using it as a category of those who have not repented of their sins, who have not followed in faith Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, those who, do not, who have not trusted in me, those who are still treasuring their sin over me, they're anxious about these things. Why? Because that's the only place they can look to for hope. The only place they can find hope is in how much money they have, how much food they have, do they have enough to drink, what clothes are they wearing. And he's saying that's the only place they can put their hope, and it's always going to fail them. It's always going to fail them. They don't know God. He's not their father. And God doesn't promise freedom from anxiety to those who have not been adopted into his family. But you, Christian, you who have repented of your sins and are following Christ Jesus in faith, you have been adopted into God's family. And he has promised to care for you. He has promised to free you from anxiety. And he's graciously graciously promised to provide all that you need here and in eternity. He's promised that for you. And if you believe this, Christian, then you not only fight your anxiety, you seek to replace it. You replace it with the pursuit of his kingdom and his righteousness, as the text says. You see, what we seek after reveals who or what we are devoted to. Who or what we are trusting in. If if God, your Father, has promised to care for you by giving you what you need then devote yourself to the pursuit of living according to his kingdom and his righteousness. I mean, isn't this how Jesus taught us to pray? And we could read it a few verses earlier in Matthew 6. In verse 9, Jesus teaches us to pray. Pray then like this. Our Father. There it is again. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's making God's reign preeminent in our lives and having that lead us daily to knowing all that we need is going to be and be and all that we need and to be sustained, God will take care of. That's what it means that all these things will be added. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and have the confidence that God knows your needs and he will provide them as he has promised. But how do we know what his kingdom is? So it's easy to say, seek first his kingdom, but but what is that? Well, everything he's been describing in the Sermon on the Mount, all of Matthew Matthew chapters 5 through 7, are describing what citizens of God's kingdom looks like. So I would encourage you to read that and just kind of see, this is what the citizens in God's kingdom are to be. But seeking his kingdom and his righteousness is not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's a changed heart and a passion to see Christ exalted in every area of my life and see God given the glory in every circumstance I find myself in. It's to pursue holiness only found in Christ Jesus and his word. It's to contribute to the gospel going forth and seeing lives changed by the gospel of Jesus. It's seeking joy, not in my circumstances, but in God's promises. See, Jesus doesn't free his people from anxiety in order to coast through life worry-free. He frees his people from anxiety in order to serve God without distraction. 
Now, there may be someone in here, there may be a believer in here who says, it really doesn't feel like my Heavenly Father loves me today. It really doesn't feel like He loves me. It doesn't feel like He has provided me with all that I need. And if that's you, I first want to say thank you for being honest. It's a good thing to be open and honest about that. But second, I want to say, Jesus isn't arguing here that God gives us what we think we need, but that God has promised to give us what we truly need. It's a mentality that we're supposed to have, that whether or not God has provided me with what I think I need, I know he still loves me because I know he's given me what I need in this moment, even if I can't see it. He's given me what's necessary. Listen to Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness? Doesn't sound like they had all that they needed to eat or be clothed by. Or danger or a sword, as it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, nothing, absolutely nothing will or can separate you from the love of God. And that's including your circumstances and those things that you tend to become anxious about. So if you think that he has not provided you with what you need, please know he has. And even though the pain may still remain, your pain doesn't negate the love of God for you. And after everything Jesus has said, he gives one last exhortation to those listening in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I'll be honest with you, when I was studying this text, preparing the sermon, I had no clue what Jesus meant by that. But further study into it, I think it actually means a couple things. I think one, it means there's the reality that there's going to be troubles every day of your life. Every single day, there will be something that could be considered a trouble in your life. There will be something that you could become anxious about, something in your life that you could worry about. One of the dangers of reading a text like this is to think that because God has freed us from anxiety, that means he's freed us from all of our troubles. And that's absolutely not what Jesus is saying. You're going to have plenty of things to be anxious of tomorrow, just like you have plenty of things to be anxious about today. But don't, let the, don't start flooding your soul with the what-ifs of tomorrow. Cling to the promises of God. This also means, too, that God's mercy is new every morning and He'll sustain us through the day's troubles. I'm indebted to one pastor who helped me understand this when he said about this verse, quote, The comforting point is unsaid but obvious. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is the Lord's faithfulness. 
Each day has its own appointed troubles, and there are new mercies appointed to us every day so that we can bear those troubles, end quote. You see, we should praise God that he doesn't leave us to ourselves to fight the troubles of the day on our own. Every morning you wake up, God says, I'm right there with you, and I will help you get through these troubles. Just as sure as the troubles are in your life, you can be sure that God is with you to walk you through those troubles. But it also means we shouldn't stress ourselves out over what might or most likely will happen tomorrow or in the future. We shouldn't stress ourselves out about that, wondering what if this happens tomorrow? What if this happens next week? What if this happens next month? What we should do is thank God for how how he has sustained us another day and praise him that he's promised to do it again tomorrow. Every night you lay your head down, you should say, thank you, God. I'm only here tonight because you sustained me through this day. And I can close my eyes and rest because I know you're going to do it again tomorrow because that's what you've promised. And I'm clinging to the promise, not what might happen tomorrow. What might happen tomorrow pales in comparison to what I know will happen. And what I know will happen is you will be there for me and you will not let me go because you love me. And so I can rest tonight. Four encouragements to close this morning. Encouragement number one, cast your anxieties on the Lord. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Recognizing what makes you anxious, be willing to let it go. Recognize it and let it go. Trust that your Heavenly Father loves you and will give you what you need. Believe that He cares for you. Pray for your anxieties. Jesus left His Spirit as our helper and our comforter. Recognize your anxieties, but don't dwell on them. And trust your Heavenly Father who loves you to deal with them and to sustain you through them. Encouragement number two, be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can never forget that even though we may not possess what we think we need, God has provided us with everything that's necessary. We need to recognize he is in control, that he loves us, knowing what's best for us and for our future. He has provided for us everything that is essential And to be truthful, maybe even a little more. And what I mean by a little more is there are plenty of us in this room, if not all of us, who could easily say that we have more than we need. And that's not wrong. Praise God for his gracious gifting and provisions in our lives. But this should serve as a heart check for us. Are we willing to give all of it up if that's what Jesus asked of us? Would we let it all go if he called us to let it all go? Encouragement number three. Comfort those in their afflictions. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 reads this. Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with 
the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Don't confuse God's promise of new mercy every morning with a, quote, get out of Christian life free, Christian family life free card. One of the many ways God sustains us is through his people. It's through our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest, any of you be in, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. If you see or hear of a brother or sister in Christ who is anxious about the things of this world, remind them of the promises of God. Encourage and exhort them to cling to the promises God has given in his word. And remind them they have a father who loves them. And gives them what is necessary, even if they think they need more. But our fourth encouragement this morning, remember, this is not our home. This is not our home. Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. Anxiety only gives the illusion that true and lasting peace can come, somehow be attainable here and now. We have to remember that this is not our home. This is not a reflection of God's original design. God has something much greater, much sweeter for his people in eternity, in the new creation. See, those things that we are anxious about here and now are temporal. They can be taken away, destroyed, lost, losing value. The kingdom that God has promised and delights to give his people is an unshakable one that houses all of the promises of God to their fullest. And this is what we look forward to. In the midst of our struggles and our pains and our anxieties now, we don't look to the promises of what now can bring. We look to the promises of God's kingdom that will not be destroyed. And we say, I look forward to that day. I want that. If you're a Christian in here, remember God loves you. Your heavenly Father loves you, and he does not desire for you to be anxious. He calls us to flee from anxiety. He says, do not be anxious because you know you have a father who cares for you. You have a heavenly father who loves you. God has freed you to something better. He's promised you peace. He's guaranteed you hope. Trust your heavenly father who will not leave you or forsake you who even in the midst of trials and troubles gives you the mercy you need and the reason to say, praise God, my heavenly Father loves me no matter what it looks like around me. Let's praise that God and let's look forward to him bringing us home in the end. Let's pray. God, we do thank you this morning for your word and the promises that are found in your word the hope and the life and the peace that are found in your word. May that never grow dull for us, God. We thank you for the reminder that you love us and you care for us and you give us all that we need and you watch over us. 
And by your spirit, we ask that you would help us to trust in you no matter what. That we would cling to the promises we find in your word. And that Jesus would be what our focus is on, not our circumstances. And we ask all of this in his name. Amen.